But let's turn our hearts to God's Word. You can turn over to Matthew chapter 18. And uh, Matthew chapter 18, we're talking about the force of forgiveness. And uh, last week, we learned a little bit about uh, the subject matter in our, our text. But I just want to read for us the text of Scripture that's before us. Uh, Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pled with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and you... And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Last week we looked at the question that Peter posed for us uh, when he asked Jesus, should I forgive my brother um, seven times and we talked a little bit about where he got that number other than number in their thought seven was kind of a sign of perfection um i think that peter the the general judaic law of the day said you can forgive somebody three times but the fourth time you don't have to (laughs) and so peter thought well i'll double that and add one and uh maybe the lord will pat me on the back as a result of that But that's not exactly what happened. Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times in verse 22, but 70 times seven. And you say, okay, so I can keep track up to 490 and that's it, right? Then I don't forgive. No, and that's not what Jesus is saying. Okay, Jesus is saying, basically, there's no end to your forgiveness. Just like there's no end to God's forgiveness for us. And so we looked at that question last week, and we also looked at the testimonies of different people in the Bible. We, we looked at the forgiveness of Jesus and Luke. We looked at a little bit of, uh, we mentioned the forgiveness of David in Genesis 50, wonderful story of forgiveness, of uh, forgiveness of Stephen as he was martyred, and also the forgiveness of God as we know in Psalm 51.4. And the key thought last week was every sin that you've ever sinned in your whole life was committed against a holy God. But the neat thing about salvation is that God has forgiven every sin you've ever sinned if you have trusted in Christ's sacrifice for you on the cross. We also mentioned there's two kinds of different forgiveness. 
There's judicial forgiveness, which means it's on the books once for all. That's what happens when we're saved. God stamps us justified. He transfers the righteousness of Christ to our account. But there's also relational forgiveness. There's daily forgiveness. We know that in our families, in our marriages. Once in a while, maybe you're holding out and not forgiving your spouse or maybe one of your loved ones. And you know what? You lose in that relationship, don't you? You're still related to them. They're still your brother, your sister, your husband or wife or mother or dad. Just because you don't forgive them doesn't change the relationship. But it definitely affects what you might say is the fellowship. It affects what we have with that person. Because there's something in the middle, i.e. unforgiveness. And it's the same way with God. We read the scripture, Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. As though they were red as crimson, they shall become like wool. Now, today we want to look at this parable a little closer. Because remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's probably in a home, and he's gathered together with his disciples. And he actually picked up a little infant, and he had that infant on his knee or in his hands as he's teaching them about Matthew 18. And we learned about how you have to be childlike to come into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. You also have to be disciplined as a child and protected as a child and all sorts of things we looked at up to this point. But Peter asked this question, And a lot of people get on Peter for asking questions, but, you know, if you don't ask questions, you don't learn. You just got to make sure you ask the right people. A lot of people were asking Harold Camping when the end of the world is, and his idea was May 21st. Well, obviously, they weren't asking the right person. So it's nothing wrong with asking questions, but a lot of times you have to make sure that you're asking the right people. And that goes the same for believers. I hear a lot of, of Christians sometimes you know, they'll say, well, I'm going to go get counsel. We're going to get marriage counseling, or we're going to get counseling for our kids, or whatever. And I'll say, well, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, you know, Christian counseling. I'll say, that doesn't tell me anything. I mean, there's all kinds of, quote, Christian counseling out there today. And so you have to stop, and you have to make sure that you're asking the right questions to the right people. Are they giving you biblical answers, or are they giving you a bunch of scientific stuff that never really seems to work. Within the Word of God, we have biblical principles that if we apply them to our lives, they will activate change in our lives. That's just the way it works. That's how God has laid it out. Well, let's look at this illustration. And we're living, learning here about the importance of forgiveness, about forgiving one another, about not holding vengeance or grudges of freeing ourselves, you might say, from that bondage of unforgiveness. Um, it's, it's important that we, we see that in the life of Jesus, whenever he taught about these kinds of things, he taught a lot about forgiveness. He wanted people to understand what it meant to be forgiven, what it meant to have that forgiveness from God. And he gives us a great example here. He, he tells Peter 70 times 7. And then he tells them a story, a parable, you might say. This is the first parable where the Lord is, God is really represented by a king in the Gospels. And it's an example of forgiveness. And we know that here he's talking to, you know, it's, it's good to understand who's involved in the parable. 
So when you, when you think of the kingdom of heaven, that's speaking of heaven, that's speaking of God, that's speaking of those who, who dwell there. And it says in verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to, not that it is, but it's compared to a king who represents God, who wished to settle accounts with his servants. The first thing that we, we see here in the parable is that this is, I, I think this is speaking of where the king is God and we are his servants. And it's, it's pretty, pretty clear because it says there in verse 23, therefore, and what did he just get done talking about? He just got done talking about how a Christian should be forgiving another Christian, how there should be reconciliation within the body of Christ. When a brother or sister sins against you, what are you to do? You're to go to that person and confront them. And in love and humility, seeking reconciliation. And if they don't listen to you, you take somebody else with you, two or three. And if they don't listen to that, then you come back and you tell the group of Christians that you're with, hey, I tried to reach out to so-and-so, but so-and-so is not responding. So then the whole group of believers that you're part of reaches out to that person. And if that person still doesn't respond, then it says that group of believers, here it's called the church, should treat that person as an outsider. Pretty hard stance. But the goal is to draw that person back, is to to reconcile that person. And so we know that he's talking about that because of the context. And so the very first thing there, he says, therefore, if the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who would take account of his servants. Um, When you see that word servant there, John MacArthur just wrote an excellent book based on a series of sermons he taught on um, this very thing, the idea of being a slave of Christ and what that means. Most modern translations have the word servant there. It should really be the word slave. But in our society, in our culture, that's such a negative term that we just kind of bristle against that. But really, that's what, what it's talking about here. It means bond slave or bond servant or slave. And we kind of dress it up with those other terms. But if you want a good resource on understanding what this, what this is talking about and how our culture should relate to that, read that book by MacArthur called Slave. It'll give you a whole different aspect as far as your, a whole different point of view as far as your Christianity and that we truly are called slaves of Christ. Well, this king had these servants and it says in verse 24 that he would, uh, or in, in verse 23, that he would settle accounts. That kind of tells us that these servants were not just sweeping the floor in his estate. They were probably over a certain portion of his estate and he would send them out to watch over the fields or to watch over a certain segment of his estate and at a certain point in time he would draw them back and he'd say, okay, how's, how are the fields doing? What, how much do we make in the crops? How are the, you know, the sheep doing? Whatever. And they would have to give an account whatever they've been entrusted to. You know, God does the same thing with us, doesn't he? He, he gives us in certain ways. We all have a myriad of different gifts and different talents. And we have to stop and say, are we using them for just our own betterment or our own agenda? Or are we using them for his glory and for his gain? 
And that's really what this, this subject matter here is, is talking about when he talks about the king and his servants. There's an, an accounting. One day we'll stand before the Lord. One day there'll be a judgment day. It wasn't May 21st, but it is coming. That's one thing that Harold Camping got right. Judgment day will come. We just don't know the day or the hour. And God obviously has gifted us all in a myriad of ways. And so he basically points out here in verse 23 that, you know what, one day you're going to appear before a holy God and one day you're going to have to settle accounts with the God of glory. Examples of that throughout Scripture, remember the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul, and he was on the road to go persecute some more Christians, because not just because he was a mean guy, but he really believed that he was doing a good thing and getting rid of the Christians because he was a Pharisee, he was a, a Jew. And these guys are standing in the way of our religion, and so he wanted to kind of rid the world of them. And he would go out and he would oversee executions of them all the time, thinking he was doing the right thing. He's deceived. And yet all of a sudden, God took a hold of him on the road to Damascus. You know the story. Slammed him down to the earth. Blinded him. Why? He was calling him to account. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, he wasn't doing it. He didn't think to God. He thought he was doing it for God, for in the name of his religion. But Christ himself appeared to him. Every one of us will one day have, a, have to give an answer for our sin. Personal, private. Your sin may not hurt anybody else but yourself, but you know what? It hurts God. It grieves the heart of God. And there's that conviction of sin that you see here with the, the king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. One day we're going to have to settle accounts with God. All of us who know Christ, at one time it was settled. When we came to Christ, our accounts are already settled. If you're outside of Christ, you're weighed in the balance, which is, as we're going to find out here, a lot. Well, the second thing in verse 24 here is he not only wants to settle this account with his servant, the parable goes on, but he says in verse 24, when he began to settle settle the account, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let's just say that's a whole, whole lot of money. All right? I mean, you can go into all the details. Well, maybe it was this much. If gold costs this much today, maybe... It was more money than you have ever, ever, ever even thought of. I mean, this, this amount of money probably makes, you know, Bill Gates seem like a pauper. That's the idea here. That's the, 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 the in the original language, that's kind of what is, is made here. Now remember, this is a parable. He's telling a story. He's using this as an illustration. The largest numerical term in the Greek language is 10,000. That's the largest. That's the top. They don't have a million. They don't have all this other stuff. They just have 10,000. And it's not really a exact number. It just means kind of infinity. And so he owed this king 
billions and billions and zillions of dollars, if you want to say that. And it says in verse 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Well, there's a calculation of sin that takes place. Have you ever stopped and have you ever thought, you know what, I wonder if I could write down all my sins on a piece of paper. Just start writing them down. Ever since, you know, you can be, I mean, I can remember back when I was a little kid doing things that, you know, little kids should not do. I mean, I remember going into, as a good Catholic does once a week, goes into the confessional. And I'd lie to the priest because I didn't have anything to say to him. So I'd make stuff up to the priest on the other side of the screen. You know, I thought, well, okay, uh, I was disobedient. I did this. I did, okay, you know, go say three Hail Marys and four Our Fathers and, you know. And I often thought, I wonder if he knows that I'm lying to him. And if I'm lying to him and I really didn't do this stuff, then why do I have to go out there and kneel and say these prayers? I mean, I was thinking that all this stuff the whole time. See, there's going to be a calculation of our sin. Don't think that any sin in your life just kind of goes under the radar because it doesn't hurt anybody. I mean, look at this, this current example in politics. The, the congressman. I mean, think about it. I mean, you heard people right away come out in defending this guy, saying, oh, you know, he didn't hurt anybody. Well, then, you know, as the onion peeled back, and there's more and more to this story, eventually pretty much everybody's throwing the poor guy under the bus. But he's so deceived, he doesn't see his need for God to fix his problem. So he's going to, quote, go to counseling or get some help or whatever that means. I mean, sin doesn't really take hostages, beloved. I mean, sin will kill you. And we should stop and we should reflect on our own lives. How are our lives before a holy God? Are there things maybe in our, in our lives, in our personal lives, in our personal marriages, in our personal relationship with our kids, in our, in our financial dealings, in our, our dealings at work, whatever it might be? Are there, are there little sins that, that are there, but you know, they're not really hurting anybody? Don't think that God doesn't take those into account. He does. And it says here that when this, this man basically was calculated to owe more than what he could pay. And sin will always leave you in that state. You'll never end up with sin in your lap saying, wow, this was worth it. In the end, in the end maybe. May not happen till the end, but in the end you will be sorely disappointed if you're not taking your sins seriously before a holy God. Well, look at the consequences. Verse 25 it says, and since he could not pay, this, this was more than he could ever even imagine to pay back. His master ordered him to be sold. You say, well, that's kind of cruel. With his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. I mean, this is a, a um, Hard thing, I think, for us to understand in our culture. I mean, if someone did this, we would just be like, that's horrible. Back then, it was, it was kind of a, they could relate to this story. 
If you had a servant that was dishonest or you had a servant that took something from you or whatever, or even a worker, don't call him a servant, if that, you know, whatever. I mean, you, you had to bring back what you owed your, your boss. And if you couldn't do that, then repercussions fell. And the law had certain things written into it. I mean, when we, even today, our law, when someone does something, I remember one, some, one time somebody broke into the church here and took something, a check or whatever, I don't know what it was. And I remember getting a letter from this man from the prison saying, you know, I want to make, uh, uh, recompense the church for what I did and all this, you know. And I think he was just writing the letter to, you know, so he'd get out of jail. But cause I, we never heard of, from him since. And it wasn't a big deal. He busted a window and stuff. But, you know, I, I, said, I wrote back and I said, well, I'd love to meet with you when you get out. Let me know. And I never heard anything from him. But you know what? Sin has consequences. Definitely has consequences. Here, this poor guy lost his family. Was going to, I should say. And that's the kind of punishment that sin dishes out. It's not something that, that we should laugh at. Um, because sin always hurts someone, whether yourself or someone else. Well, look at what happens in verse 26. And so the servant fell on his knees before his master, imploring him, begging him is the idea. Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. But you know what? He could have worked the rest of his life and could never have repaid this. That's the idea. That's, That's what's in the language here. This debt was so massive. There's no way. I mean, that's kind of what happens, I think, when we're caught in a sin. The first thing we end up doing is falling down to our knees. Then, all of a sudden, prayer becomes real relevant to us and something that is bumped up in the priority list You know, when we're looking at issues in our lives, whether it's illness or finance or relationships, all of a sudden we have some problems and, oh, oh, all of a sudden we've got to make time for God to pray and, you know, ask Him to intercede on our behalf and all of a sudden we become very spiritual. Well, this guy had the right idea. He fell down, it says. That's the right position. I think he was at the end of his rope. He was devastated. You know, you see it going on even today. I mean, people are in financial straits today. They're, you know, this economy, everything um, is just wreaking havoc in people's lives. And you see it on their faces. You see it in their relationships. It's devastating. It says there that he fell down imploring him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. He, he, he really took the position of one who was worshiping somebody. See, the servant doesn't understand the impossibility of paying back his debt. He doesn't get it. And you know what? There's a lot of broken people in the world today that are devastated in their lives. They're just devastated. They're at the end of the rope. And yet they still don't get it. They still don't understand that they have to come before a holy God and just, just ask Him. Just give their life to Him. And say, God, do what you want with me. 
Unfortunately, so many people get caught in situations and just like the congressman, they think somehow, well, now I, I got to get back to work. I got to shape my life up. I got to become a better person. I made some bad choices. I want to turn over a new leaf. That, that doesn't work, beloved. Those are empty words. Here, this guy, basically, he admitted to his sin. He acknowledged the lostness of his condition. But he still doesn't get the idea that this debt couldn't be repaid. So he begs for a chance at it. He begs at a chance, promising to do the best he can. It's like people who come under the conviction of the Lord for sin in their life, and, or maybe they're found out or whatever, and rather than just go to God and admit it and, and say, God, I, I, I need you. I'm at the end of my rope in desperation. I'm crying out to you. Be merciful to me, a sinner. So many people today, in the midst of their conviction, what do they turn to? They turn to religion. Or they turn to this, or they turn to that. You need to turn to Christ. He's the only one who can forgive you. And so many people think that, well, I'll do that, but first I've got to straighten out the situations. I've got to get cleaned up. I've got to, you know, I've got to become a better person. Then I'll, I'll do this whole Christian thing. No. God wants you just as you are. He wants you to come to him with a broken heart, with your confusion, with your doubt, with everything that you have, and lay it on the altar and say, God, you know what? Here it is. My life's a mess. It's yours. And so he begs for a chance. Servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Do you know that you could, you could work till you died? You could do good works through the rest of your life. Say you lived another 50 years. You could do 10 good works every day for the rest of your 50 years. And you know what? That would never be enough work to appease God. God's never going to look at your work, beloved, and say, Oh, you did that. Oh, you sang in the choir. Oh, you played the piano. Oh, you helped the homeless. Oh, you did this. Oh, you did that. Oh, good. <laughs> He's not going to say that. The Bible says our works are like filthy rags before a holy God. What does that mean? That we shouldn't do good works? No. The Bible says that God has prepared before the foundation of the world our good works that we should perform. But that's after our commitment to Him. If you're pre-Christ, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know, you can read your Bible, you can go to church, you can pray, you can do all these good things, feed the homeless, you know, till the cows come home. It's not going to change your standing before God. Your standing before God is that you're a sinner and you will be sent to hell. That's it. I mean, as basic as I can get it. Well, what if I just try a little hard? See, that's the problem. You need to stop trying. Just give it up. Just give in to God. He doesn't want all your good works. He wants your heart. He wants to take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. He wants to make you a new person in Christ. And you can only do that when you come to Him and you admit 
your fault. You confess your sin. Well, it also says here in verse 27, look at what happens with the king. And out of pity for him, out of pity for his servant, you see the compassion of God revealed here. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. A debt that could not be repaid. We used to sing a little song, see if I can get it right, in in youth ministry. And it said, I owe a debt I cannot pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. Speaking of Christ. He forgave him, loosed him, and he forgave him. See, that's what the conviction of the Holy Spirit does. When you give up and you just give in to God, and I know for some of you it's a control issue. Some of you say, man, I just, this idea of just letting go and let God, that's just kind of the other side of my brain. It doesn't work. Trust God. Trust God through that. Just say, hey, God, this is hard for me to do. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily like to be in a car unless I'm driving the car. I just don't like it. I mean, I've done it. Sometimes it's because maybe, you know, get car sick or whatever. But most of the times, you know what it boils down to? It boils down to one thing, control. I want to be in control of that car. I don't like it when I'm sitting over there and my foot's going through the floorboard because, you know, I'm seeing something maybe the other person's not seeing. Then they're looking at you, oh, you don't trust me as a driver, huh? You just feel weird about it. You know, I'd rather just be driving the car. Probably a lot of us are that way. But see, here, he points out that, you know what, when you come to Christ, when you come and he, he, you come to him and you realize, hey, there's nowhere else to go, in verse 27, it says he'll have pity for him. And he loosed him, he released him. See, the burden you're carrying is not going to be released by good works, it's not going to be released by religion, it's not going to be released by anything else. It's, the only thing that can release that is God. And you cry out to him and he will release you. Not only that, but he'll... He'll forgive you. He'll says he forgave him the debt. Do you ever stop and think where compassion, this kind of compassion, comes from? I mean, he's giving us a picture of the compassion of God. He's saying, This is how God forgives you. Poor Peter, he's probably thinking, Man, why did I even ask this question at this point? You want me to forgive somebody over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, God? Yeah, that's exactly what he wants you to do. Because if you don't, what happens? It becomes an issue. It disturbs the fellowship of the body. What if they just keep doing it? Well, you just keep forgiving them. In your heart, at least. And if you can't have reconciliation with that person, you better at least forgive them in your heart or you're going to be carrying a burden that they're probably not even carrying and they're the one that's causing the problem. It's not worth it. Compassion comes from love. Compassion comes from a love for someone else. This Lord happened to love his servant. That's why he was moved by his appeal. 
I mean, if he didn't care for a servant, he'd say, hey, you know, you're going to rot in there. Too bad. I'm selling your wife, your kids, and you're going to rot until, you know, you're just gonna, basically going to die because you can't repay it. And see, that's the situation we're in. If you stop and think about it, there's no way that we could ever repay what we owe God. There's no way that we could ever justify ourselves before holy God because of our sinfulness. And even though the debt was incurred against him when his treasury had been robbed, the the king still forgave the servant. Some translations at the end of verse 27, the literal language there is the king forgave him the loan. The king is so tender-hearted he considers it a loan instead of embezzlement. He canceled the loan. He released the obligation. Have you ever gotten to a point where you paid off a car or you paid off a house and you, know, you got the piece of paper in the mail saying, hey, paid in full. Isn't that a good feeling? It's just a good feeling. And you say, well, how do I receive this forgiveness from God? How do I receive that kind of a, a gift from God? Well, you've got to come with a broken heart over your sinfulness, knowing that you're never going to be able to work this sin away. You can never repay the debt And you cry out to God for mercy and for patience. All aware that you deserve hell. You deserve eternal judgment. But in the midst of that brokenness, God comes in in a tender and compassionate way. And he he forgives your debt. At that moment, the sinner recognizes and begins to confess his sin. Why? Because it's forgiven. And you come with a repentant, and you come with a worshipful heart. And you come to the only one who can really forgive it. And God rushes in, and he covers your life with the forgiveness that's only available through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God, when, when, when Christ hung on that cross, he absorbed every sin of everyone who would ever put their faith and trust in him. And he paid for it in full. God isn't just looking at you saying, oh, okay, you know what, I like you, I'll just forgive you. On a whim. He's not doing that. God is a just God. He, a price had to be paid. Christ was the one who paid your price. It'd be like if you had a traffic ticket and you were holding a traffic ticket in your hand and you had to go pay it by tomorrow or they were going to enter a, uh, give you a warrant for your arrest. You said, well, I don't have the money. Well, I could say, well, tough. Neither do I. (laughs) See you in jail, pal. Or I could say, you know what? Here, maybe I can help you out. And I could pay your debt. I didn't get the ticket. You did. But I could give you the money to cover that debt so you could go in there and you could make things right with the judge. That's what Christ did on our behalf. You want an excellent version of this whole parable kind of in real life look at the story of joseph in the old testament read it look at it and you see that wow this is this is real life this really can happen well look at what happens here in verse 28 
He's forgiven the debt. And then in verse 28, the same servant went out. Now remember, he was in debt. So if he's in debt, he probably doesn't have a lot of money. Okay, It's not like all of a sudden he had a bunch of money. So he's looking for some food money. He's looking for something to take care of his family. Because the debt was forgiven. So what's he do? He leaves the king's presence and he goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him not a whole lot. hundred denarii is basically hardly anything. And you think, wow, what's he going to do? Well, look at what he does. Talk about being uncompassionate. He seizes him. And this is a pittance. This is nothing compared to what this man owed. He seized him and he began to choke him. I mean, that's just kind of bad behavior in general. And then he says, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant, probably hearing the story about this guy, thinking, man, this guy's going to get it when, that, when his account comes and he goes before the king. Man, this guy's going to be in big trouble because we know what he's been doing with all this, whatever, the sheep or whatever. And so he owes this king more than he could ever even dream of paying back. And the king, what? The king forgave him? Are you serious? He forgave the debt? I mean, I'm sure this just went around the whole countryside. So this servant knew what was going on, and so he thought, hey, I'll try this with him. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Thinking, oh, sure, he's going to do that. I mean, who would, you'd have to be a pretty hard person not to do that. Look at verse 30. It says, he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now remember, in comparison to his debt, it was nothing. Like a week's wages or whatever, day's wages, whatever it was. Ridiculous. Ridiculous amount. But the fact that he put him in jail, how how is he going to repay him if he's in jail? So really, he gave the guy a life sentence over a little bit of amount of money, and yet he had been forgiven all. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, clearly, Thinking, wow, what a hypocrite. Look at this guy. I can't believe he's doing this. And they went and they reported to their master, like little tattletales, but still, they had a good case, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him, servant who didn't forgive the other guy, and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Wow. What a incredible illustration for the disciples. They're talking about forgiveness. See, one thing you need when you come before God, you need a contrite heart. You need to realize that you've got issues. You've got sin in your life. You can't come to God thinking that, oh, I'm going to put on my best face and act like nothing's wrong. That's not going to work. When you come to God with a contrite heart, a sorrowful heart, then you're going to experience the compassion of God. You're going to experience the forgiveness of God. But if you come to God with a proud heart, what are you going to hear? You're going to hear the law. That's the one thing true about Jesus. Whenever he came across somebody who was proud in their spirit, when he encountered them, what did he do? He gave them the law. He said, here's what you have to do. 
But whenever he came across somebody who was broken in their spirit, at the end of the rope, they were crying out to God, what did he do? He gave them grace. He gave them grace. He didn't give them the law. He gave them grace because they were already broken. That's the purpose of God's law is to break us, to bring us to a point that we realize, you know what, we can't do this. We can't live this Christian life. We can't be good enough for God to like us more. It's not going to work. The only way we can have a relationship with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this parable points out the compassion of God under such circumstances. Verse 35, And so also my heavenly Father, this is Jesus speaking now, he breaks away from the parable and says, Listen, Peter, here's what I want you to understand. So my heavenly Father will do to every one of you kind of pointing to his disciples, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, having a forgiving heart is essential to the Christian life, beloved. There's no room for us to hold grudges. Jesus puts a great deal of emphasis on our need to forgive others. As a matter of fact, he goes on in so many places, but a couple in particular here, And and others, he says, if you're not willing to forgive forgive others, you can't experience the fullness of God's forgiveness in your own life. And we went over that when we were in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus is teaching the same principle, that's in Matthew 6, in today's parable. He teaches the same thing throughout, and it applies today. In this story, we learn of forgiveness. How much we've been forgiven. Infinite amount. We could never pay God back. And how much we need to forgive others. We learn that being forgiven and forgiving others are really inseparable. If you're a true believer in Christ, you don't have the right to hold a grudge. You just don't. And that's why earlier in Matthew 18, it says, hey, if someone sins against you, what do you do? You go to them right away. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to wait. You just go to them. And you state your case. And hopefully they're receptive. And you say, well, there's a couple different ways we think about forgiveness just to, to get real practical here as we close out. How do you forgive others as God wants you to forgive? I mean, there's give you two examples, and neither one is really right. I've heard people say, I'm going to forgive you, but I'm never going to forget. You ever hear that? I'm going to make certain that you, you remember this for the rest of your life, pal, the way you did this to me or whatever it is. I'll never forget. I'll remind you what you've done the rest of your life. And when I bring it up, you better start acting real guilty. Or I'll withdraw my forgiveness. The principle is that we're to forgive as we're forgiven. Don't miss that. And that is not how God forgives us. Can you imagine if God forgave us that way? (laughs) We wouldn't have a a chance. It's not forgiveness at all. On the other hand of that extreme are those who think that forgiving means basically giving everybody the right to treat them as a doormat and walk all over them and be victimized in their life 
for the rest of their life. That isn't the case either. You have to strike a balance. So we're supposed to forgive others. Well, what does it mean? Well, there's four practical steps on the back of your outline there. And this comes right out of this, this parable. But four practical steps. First of all, forget about keeping count. He points that out in verses 21 and 20, uh, 22. How many times? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, you know what? Don't even count about it. Seventy times seven. How's that, Peter? Forget about keeping count. Don't keep a, a count of wrongdoings before people. Do you think God does that? I don't think God does that. The worst thing you can hear from somebody is, oh, yeah, 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 I remember last time when I forgave you. <laughs> well, wait a minute, you forgave me? Why are we bringing this back up? And we've all done that. We've all fallen into that. Don't keep a track of wrongdoings. Don't keep count. We're to get forgive others, each other, unlimited. Unlimited. You say, well, that sounds silly. Well, that's what Jesus does. That's what God does to us. We're to follow in his footsteps. Someone asks for forgiveness, regardless of how many times they've asked you in the past, we're to forgive that person. And you know what? If you want to live with any kind of sanity in your Christian life, whether they, forgive, whether they ask you forgiveness or not, you might as well just forgive them in your own heart and get it off your, off your back and move on. It's not worth it. It's not worth carrying the burden around. Secondly, cancel the debt. See, sometimes we forgive others and when we do, we have the power to cancel their debt. To, in other words, completely let them off the hook. Jesus tells in this parable, this guy that owned all this money, and, and the, the king canceled the debt. The Bible says when he forgives, God forgives us, he hurls our iniquities into the depths of the sea in Micah 7.19. The Bible also says about God's forgiveness, I have swept your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Isaiah forty four twenty two, And it says, You have put all my sins behind your back. So you can't see them. In Isaiah 38, 17. It says that he buried them in the depths of the sea. One commentator said, Then he put up a no fishing sign. <laughs> That's how God forgives us. He forgives us completely. Our sin is gone forever. Aren't you glad about that? Could you imagine if God was like us and we threw it back in our face every time we messed up? Some of you may have that view of God. That's not a biblical view of God. I read a story one time of an individual who kept on the same sin. He's just struggling with it over and over and over again. Kept on going back, going back to God. Finally, he got a kind of handle on it and was kind of reprieved of that, and, and yet the guilt was still there after all those years. And he kept on going back to God and begging his forgiveness, even though that he wasn't even sinning anymore in that area of his life. God had given him victory, but he just couldn't get rid of the guilt. 
Finally, one of his close friends realized that this was just a burden in his life. And he said, you know what? Let's just play this little game for a second. We'll do a little role play here. I'm going to be God and you be you. Now you come to me with your attitude of, you know, God, please forgive me. And so, you know, they played this out. And, and the individual who was playing God, when he said, you know, God, please forgive me. Forgive you for what? Well, you know, for years, you know, I had this. No, I don't know. I don't even remember. It's covered by the blood of Christ. See, we, we have to think of God that way. Most of us have, have sinned in our lives in one way or another, and to think that God is up there holding them over our heads somehow. I even know some people think that when bad things happen in their life, they think, oh yeah, it's because I did this. If you're a Christian, your sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your debt is canceled. And that's the way that we should reach out to people around us. When we're learning to forgive, we need to forget about keeping count of wrongdoings. And also, we need to cancel the debt when we're able to. Just cancel it. And then thirdly, keep them accountable. See, I'm not talking about a stupid kind of forgiveness that makes you lay down and let people walk all over you. Because that's what the king did here in verses 28 to 34. He forgave the servant's debt, but he held him accountable, didn't he? Because look at what the servant did. The wicked servant went out, and he wouldn't forgive somebody else. Well, what did the king do? He stepped right into this servant's life, and he said, Hey, pal, you know what? You're going to hold account now, because I'm not going to let you get away with this. You've got to keep people accountable. After you forgive someone, when maybe they do something you don't like. I mean, the lesson here, it says here that this king actually called him a wicked servant and threw him into jail. Well, does that mean that you track people down and torture them, you know, when they don't know? That's not the, not, the, not the idea. But you keep them accountable. The king didn't cancel his debt and say, okay, go treat anybody any way you want. See, if you've been forgiven by Christ, beloved, then you have you know, an abundance of forgiveness within your own life to dish out to others. And when you don't do that, that shows that maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe you've never really experienced the forgiveness of God. When we forgive others, even though we completely wipe out their debt, we need to establish certain terms of accountability. Since they're going to be able to overcome their past and move on toward holiness in God. The last thing here is basically consider God's mercy in your life. Sit down and consider God's mercy in your life. Like I said, sit down and write on a piece of paper all the sins you've ever committed that you can remember, all the stupid things you've done, all the hurtful things you've said to people. Piece of paper, I say, you know, maybe some of us would need a book. And when you stop and you think about that and you think about, wow, how does God treat me again? He treats me as one of his own. He treats me as adopted into his beloved family. Why? Because of Christ. I mean, every time I'm tempted to hold a grudge against somebody, I stop and I think, wait a minute, how did God forgive me? Did God hold a grudge against me? I've disappointed God so many times, I can't even count. 
And yet God fully forgave me. I didn't deserve it. But he forgave me anyway. We all fail again and again and again, day after day after day. There's no way I could ever need to forgive anyone else more than God has forgiven me. Do you need to forgive someone? I pray that you would forgive them as God has forgiven you. Forget about keeping account. Cancel their debt. Establish accountability with them. And most of all, remember God's own mercy and grace in your own life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this teaching of our Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would minister your grace to our hearts. Father, I'm sure that there's people in this building who are carrying grudges. If we just stop for a second and think of maybe there's somebody I need to forgive. I'm sure a name would pop into any one of our minds. And Lord, you encourage us to do that and you encourage us to do it quickly and efficiently and humbly. But Lord, I pray that we would do it because of our love for you and we realize what you've done for us. There's a real force behind forgiveness. And that force is the force that comes through Christ. This isn't something we can do on our own. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, you don't know what was done to me. You're right, I don't, but God does. And God is able to forgive us our sin. I guarantee you, he will give you the power and the grace to extend that forgiveness to others. Doesn't mean the memories go away. Doesn't mean the hurt is just gone. But I'll tell you one thing, you're on the right road when you unload that unforgiveness and you lay it at the foot of the cross. You will see God begin to work afresh in your life. Maybe you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you've never experienced the forgiveness of God. I pray that you would cry out to him. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me, Lord, my need of a Savior. Show me your truth. Pray that you would draw me to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.